0: This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success.
1: And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our Monday, November 23rd, 2020 edition of Invest Talk. Yes, it is Thanksgiving week means the holidays are in full swing and markets are in full swing as well. A lot of rotation in the market right now with more news about another vaccine that looks pretty promising. So we now have three that look effective. The question is how safe are they? How easy are they to uh, roll out so those are the the future answers or future questions however you want to put it and the market is starting to try to answer that for itself right um, and you know the more options there are for a vaccine the better likelihood we will reopen in three months six months nine months and, and get back to some semblance of normalcy and that's what the market is starting to rotate into that doesn't mean that the uncertainty goes away. There's always some level of uncertainty. Today's world, certainly a heightened level. But what's also certain is that there will be stimulus measures of some kind. Now, our main focus point today discusses kind of that, uh, one of the recent stimulus measures that will expire at the end of the year. And that'll be an important, maybe a marker point, of what governments and central banks are doing and how they are married together. Uh, So we're going to discuss that. But let's jump into the market today. The S&P was up about 20 points. Modest update. The NASDAQ, that was we close up? I think we still closed up. Yeah, about 25 points, a little bit less. So you saw saw a continued rotation, once again, out of growth stocks into the value side of the market. A lot of the fang names were down, actually, right? The Apples of the world. Uh, I believe Google was down as well. Uh, yep, eight bucks. You're talking about Facebook. That was down. Amazon, down. Netflix, down, right? You're you, So you're starting to see the dichotomy here, right? The the change of the winds, right? The winds were blowing towards growth stocks, towards tech stocks, towards the exciting names in the market. Now, not so much. Things are changing and you need to be prepared and adjust your portfolio accordingly if you want to be successful so many people especially new investors I know there's a lot of new listeners that are new investors that are out there that are like COVID kind of brought their interest into investing even more right a lot of times because they couldn't do much else other times it was out of necessity other times it was because they could they were getting money from the government and they wanted to invest it some way so there's a lot of Motivations for the new interest in investing. But needless to say, those people, and is natural, tend to focus on what they know, what's interesting, what's exciting, which are growth names, stories. But real investing is about a business, business and profits and cash flow and earnings. And so that's what we are here to help you understand is how to position your strategy, your portfolio for the right opportunities in the market, as well as your risk tolerance and your ultimate goals. Now, I'm Justin Klein, and I'm ready to take your calls right now at 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278 is how you get through and ask your question on today's show. I always encourage everyone to call in sooner rather than later, because we do have an information packed podcast for you today, so let's get right to our first caller at 888-99-CHART.
0: Hello, Steve and Justin. This is Lynn in Illinois. Hey, I'm looking to buy one of these two medical REITs. I'd like your thoughts on Medical Properties Trust, symbol MPW, and Sabra Healthcare, symbol S-B-R-A. Thanks for your comments, and I'll be listening on the podcast for your thoughts.
1: All right. He's looking at Sabra Healthcare. This is a REIT that owns 423 healthcare-related properties in 30 30- Eight states. Revenue and profits in decline because of COVID. Uh you know, the big question is how much of their business is the nursing home environment, which is hmm, interesting. The so company is growing its IT solutions division, which is good twenty-seven percent of revenue. Hmm, let's see. I'm just looking at the percentage of bookings. This is interesting. I'd have to dig into this one a little bit more. This one looks a little more, uh, diversified. Oh, actually, you know why? I'm looking at the wrong symbol. You know what? Sometimes you just type in two letters in the wrong order and it screws everything up. Okay. Sabra Healthcare. They have real estate, healthcare real estate. Living, assisted living centers, mental health facilities, nursing facilities, etc. 8% yield, roughly, 7% actually. So they cut their dividend recently. Um, let me look at MPW. You know, it's always tough to, to get a sense of the two businesses, especially if they're in the same industry. How different are they, right? Uh, medical properties is doing much, much better. Revenues up 47% year-over-year, earnings up 24%. Uh, it's more consistent, looks to have a better balance sheet in my book. So you know what? I'm going to go with medical properties. Looks uh, looks like a, a better balance sheet, better chart, uh, better business line in general. So I'm definitely going with MPW, medical properties REIT. You're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We're heading to a break and Steve Pes will be here tomorrow, but I'll return next week. That's right, the markets will be closed due to the holiday on Wednesday or sorry, Thursday, but we have some special best of caller questions programs lined up for you Thursday and Friday. But now, I'm here waiting for your live calls at 888-99 chart.
2: is invest talk you can get your free invest talk podcast downloads anytime at itunes spotify google play or investtalk.com the anytime listener lines never close steve and justin are waiting for your questions 888-99-CHART
1: let's go to julie in georgia wants to talk about value stocks
2: Hey, Justin, thanks for taking my call. So I'm heeding your yeah. advice to uh move more towards value right now. But the problem I'm having is that everything I look at seems to be overvalued. And I don't know,
1: you know, my method is kind of, oh, I'm thinking of this company, let me look it up. And I there must be a better way for me to look for these value stocks um, other than just kind of randomly shooting.
0: Um, and wondered if you could give me some suggestions on that.
1: Yeah, there's uh, actually a great, the the best free tool, obviously we have more sophisticated tools. We pay for big databases and and software that uh, helps us gather literally hundreds of different financial metrics on each company. But if you, have, if you want a free screener, the best one I've seen is finviz.com, F I N V I Z.com, and there's a screener part. Mm-hmm. And you can literally you, you can filter by what index they trade it on, what, uh, what their market cap is. You can look at uh, fundamentals such as Ford PE ratios. You can look at earnings per share growth, net profit margins, operating margins, uh, gross margins, return on investment. Uh, there's there's so there's there's a lot there for free, and uh, that's probably what I would use if you're trying to filter for a little bit more value, and you're not just going off the top of your head because you know there are literally thousands of names out there, and you're probably only going to be able to recall a hundred or two hundred at best, right? That you that you right. know about, right? So so a lot of the best investments right. are companies most people have never heard of, more B two B type of businesses as opposed to what the average person knows are B2C, right? Where, uh, consumer, consumers are seeing and, 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 and using their products or their services. But the best, some of the best businesses, actually, I would say the majority of the best businesses in the world are actually businesses serving other businesses in some way, shape, or form. So, uh, that's, that's what I would use if I didn't want to pay for a screening tool. We use Y charts that cost money, but it's really up to you, uh, how you want to do it. I'm not big time enough yet to pay, but I will uh, definitely check out your suggestion. Thank you so much. No problem, Julie. Thanks for the call. Now, from time to time, i like to set aside a few moments to mention that here on Invest Talk and at my company, KPP Financial, based in Irvine, California, we operate with a philosophy of independent thinking and, sh- and shared success. So what, the, the way, what that means, basically, is that our goal each and every day to our clients as well as on airs to provide you unbiased guidance. And the way we do that is practicing parallel investing. It means we invest right alongside our clients. So I encourage you to take advantage of our offer for to provide a free portfolio review assessment via telephone, Skype, Jive meetings, etc. Send us a message through investtalk.com or you can call our KPP offices in Irvine, California at 800-557-5461. There's always no obligation. Just talk it out. See what how we can help in some way, shape or form. We would love to help you. Now, my focus point today concerns the story. Treasury Secretary Mnuchin says there's plenty of firepower remaining, even though he is recalling roughly $800 billion from the treasury, from the Federal Reserve, excuse me, to the treasury that was supposed to go towards some lending programs. So I'm going to get into that and unwrap that story and what that might mean for markets and liquidity. Next up, post-COVID world, right? We're starting to think about the post-COVID world. And there has been a lot of shifts in habits due to the shutdown, due to COVID. And the big question for investors is what habits will endure? What habits will snap back to pre-COVID? And there's probably a bulk that are more in the middle and you have to gauge how much that will benefit or hurt the companies that you are investing in. So we're gonna discuss that. Also, we're gonna touch on history when it comes to very expensive stocks. So we're gonna look at going back decades and really look at the, the previous times when there were very high multiples of enterprise value to sales, meaning the value that The market was putting on a company in relation to its sales, and we're going to unpack that and see what that means for the current environment where many companies are trading at pretty extreme valuations. And then lastly, companies are starting to increase or reverse their dividend cuts. And I think that's going to be an interesting trend going forward, and it means that leaders of these large corporations are starting to gain more confidence about the future. So we're going to unpack that story as well, but let's see if I can squeeze in one more caller question before the break. This one from Ohio. Hey, this is Andrew from Columbus, Ohio. I really appreciate the podcast, Justin and Steve have
2: been listening since about March of this year. I have a position in Avalara, it's a cloud-based software company. And they've done really well over the last year, even through the pandemic, up 112%, uh, and they keep growing. So I entered at about $49, and I just want to see your guys' take on that, whether it's a short-term play or a long-term play. It doesn't really matter to me. Just want your thoughts. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Good luck.
1: All right, this is Avalara, A-V-L-R is the symbol, and is a cloud-based provider of software solutions to help businesses of all types and sizes c- comply with tax requirements for transactions worldwide. Uh, so I like that type of business that uh, is necessary, right, to keep track of those those taxes, and when someone turns to a solution like this, they probably don't change it very often. And so I like the business overall, but it is extremely expensive. You're talking enterprise value to revenue of 28 times, which we'll talk about here in a little bit, but they don't make money, $14 billion valuation, but technically it's still very strong. But if you start to have that multiple contraction across that industry, this is going to get hurt. So I would have, a tight st- or a stop on this of a hundred day moving average at 136. And obviously, it's going to rise over time, but that would be my, my uh, stop. You're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. I'd love to hear whatever is on your mind. So give me a call at 888 99 Chart.
2: Have you heard about Risk It's a brief question and answer form that you fill out online. Steve Peasley and Justin Klein will also get a copy of your responses. They can use the risk-alized results to help you formulate a strategy that fits your investing risk tolerance. Learn more anytime and take the risk-alized quiz at investalk.com.
1: Now, my focus point today concerns a story Treasury Secretary Mnuchin says there's plenty of firepower remaining even though he is recalling about 800 billion dollars that was to be deployed through the Exchange Stabilization Fund. And basically, this is taking money away from certain programs that are buying corporate bonds, loaning money to state and local governments, as well as the mainstream lending program to small and medium-sized businesses. And he basically says we don't need to buy more corporate bonds. The municipal bond market is working, and people are able to borrow lots of money in the markets. And this is really about liquidity here. The Fed was willing and able and announced that they were going to buy these securities, right? Corporate bonds, junk bonds, municipal bonds, to create that liquidity in the market. And that's really what solved the crisis in March-April timeframe was the solvency is... Hasn't changed too much. Uh, certainly, some companies are able to refinance their debt and and uh, and avoid bankruptcy a little bit better than they would have in in March or April. But if you're truly insolvent, you have very little income, earnings, cash flow, etc. You're going to go bankrupt, even if uh, the government is or the the Fed is buying corporate bonds, right? So this is really about. The liquidity that the Fed can deliver to specific markets. Now, the Fed has other mechanisms that can re-liquify markets, but this certainly ha- helped. But what the Fed chief is saying is that, talking about Jerome Powell, is that he understands my view of the current congressional intent, intent, and that I have a very close working relationship with him. So that is, uh, what Mnuchin is saying, not Mnuchin, but, um, Jerome Powell is talking about Mnuchin, that they have a strong working relationship. And this is really the future of policy going forward, is the new incoming Treasury Secretary, was looks like it's going to be Janet Yellen, which makes a lot of sense, right? She was the former Fed chair. She understands how they work. They're going to be married. And they are married. They have to be in order to keep the fiscal deficits that we have, we have to have monetization from the Federal Reserve through bond buying, treasury buying, right? So this just goes to show how important that relationship is, is to have both sides understanding the end goal, and which is to support the economy going forward. Now, long term, you can talk about whether this is the right move, it doesn't matter. I would argue it's probably not the right move long term. But politicians don't care about the long term. Politicians care about today, right? Policymakers care about today, and tomorrow, and next week. They don't care about next year, 10 years from now, 30 years from now, they don't care, right? So this is a very interesting story in that context. And it just shows you what the next phase of policy will look like. And that's something that's very important to follow because that will be essential to understanding where the economy is moving. Now if you listen to Invest Talk on a regular basis, you have probably noticed that we get calls from all over America. In fact, we encourage your questions anytime a day or night at 88899 chart. So here comes a question that came in earlier from Wisconsin. Hi.
2: Steve or Justin. This is Tim from Wisconsin giving you a call. been a listener for about six months now and I really appreciate your show. My question today is regarding taxable accounts. So I have a taxable brokerage account that has been doing really well this year and I also have a 401k through my um, employer. So my question is, can I take some of my gains that I've taken from my taxable account and put them into my 401k to, to the tax deferred account? To avoid some of the taxes at the end of the year. Look forward to your answer. Thanks.
1: No, but you can save more, right? You 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 can talk to your HR department and save more of your check or all of your check uh, in, to get up to the maximum that you can put into uh, your your 401k. Which there's there's some. Calculations based on your company match, et cetera. But you should talk to your HR department to try to maximize that. So you don't, can't put that money in straight from your brokerage account, uh, but you can do it uh, via your paycheck. So that's the way I would do it. And, um, I would encourage you to do that if you can. And any money you put into that 401k is a write-off on your income, on your taxes. And so that might offset some of the gains that you have in your taxable account. Great question. I appreciate that. Now, let's touch a little bit before the break. Maybe after the break, I'll get into the details. But there was an interesting study of extraordinarily high-priced companies in the Russell 1000. Russell 1000 is a very broad-based index. And it speaks to, it looks at the history of... Companies that are trading at very high multiples, talking about enterprise value to sales of 10 or 20 times. Right, and we're going to look at two, uh, both of those, 10 times and 20 times. Now, one example is uh, the caller before, Al Alvalara, trading at 20 28 times enterprise value to sales. So after the break, I'm going to get into. What history says about these companies that are trading at extremely high multiples and what are the odds that they outperform over the coming five years? So that's what we're going to discuss after the break. But on the next Invest Talk, the story, a retail trade group is predicting that holiday sales will be up and produce a strong finish for 2020. That story tomorrow. But for now, I'm Justin Klein. Give me a call at 888-99-CHART. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's attack resistance platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com, HackerOne.com. This is Invest Talk, the radio program and podcast
2: dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom. You may be a regular listener You may even have called a few times, but if you've never called, what are you waiting for? The phone lines are open, and Steve and Justin would love to hear your questions right now. Call 888-99-CHART.
1: Now, before the break, I previewed this topic about very expensive companies, meaning companies that are trading at very high multiples. And this study goes back decades and it looks at companies when they pass the threshold of enterprise value to sales of 10 times. Now, Enterprise value is market cap plus debt and divided by sales, right? Divided by the amount of revenue that the company is bringing in. And this Qualifies is pretty expensive, right? When you're trading at 10 or sometimes 20 times sales when it comes to your enterprise value, it's a good time to ask how these companies have performed historically and basically not well. Not as bad as you would expect, but still not very good. Now, the big takeaway is that a few successes make up for a lot of the losers, now for stocks in the Russell 1000 whose enterprise value to sales exceed 10, to 10 for the first time, over the next five years, the average outperformance is six underperformance, excuse me is 65%. So only about 35% of them outperform. So you have a two-thirds chance of those companies underperforming over the next five years. And if you look at the even more extreme examples, 20 times, when they hit the 20 times enterprise value to even enterprise value to sales ratio, over the next five years, the underperformance is 73%. So about three out of four companies underperform over the next five years. Now, there's a big reason why. Many companies, especially these growth names, the software names, tech names, trade at such high multiples, like the Alva uh, what was it What's the name of it? Avalara, the one that we spoke about earlier. And the reason is low risk-free rate, right? Where interest rates are near zero, which means when you have company with accelerating growth, when you have a basically zero discount rate, there's really no upper bound on its valuation, and that's why you're seeing such massive increases in these valuations so secular stagnation right the new normal post the financial crisis has actually been very good for these growthier names because people are looking for or investors are looking for growth looking for companies that are increasing their top line and they're increasingly bidding up these names to astronomical prices now what's going to happen if we do successfully get out of this pandemic You have the economy growing, you have policies that are more growth oriented, right? Like massive fiscal spending, for example, and you have interest rates going up. That's why you're going to continue to see this shift to value stocks from growth and multiples contract. Okay? And now, if we go back into that secular stagnation, if policy doesn't bring about big, true economic growth, then maybe you see growth continue to do fairly well. But going back to the point about why these companies tend to underperform, and the reason is is because if you look at history and the return on equity of these companies that have such high multiples, when they hit that 10 times enterprise value to sales, or 20 times. On average, when they hit that, their return equity is about zero, meaning it's not a profitable company. It's all about the story and plowing all cash flow back into the business and the growth, which works until maybe there's no more growth. You Find competitors that start to eat your lunch, and now you have to, now your growth slows and you have to produce a profit. But history says that going forward, looking out, most of these companies don't actually produce positive return on capital going forward. So the median ROE for the five years after crossing that 10 and 20 times sales threshold doesn't improve at all it means they don't actually become profitable in the longer term. So the idea that these growth names are going to somehow magically become great businesses more often than not far more often than not, they actually don't. And so the stocks valued at these high levels rarely deliver, deliver the earnings to justify these inflated prices. So good history lesson there. Let's go to Robert in Washington. and he wants to talk about gold. Hi. Yeah. Okay. What can I help you with? Well,
0: I'm just looking at the gold prices, and it just seems like it just, it's just tanking right now. And the rumors that I'm understanding is that now that oil prices are finally going back up, the cost of drill will be going up as well. And then the economy is improving, so is now the time to get out of gold?
1: No, actually, I still think this is a, a good buying opportunity uh, for the the, the miners. Uh, you know, we had that surge in spring and in early summer, and frankly, it was uh, it got into an overbought situation. There were a lot of uh, I think weak hands getting into it. Right, where uh, people were chasing that, that, that return and that story about the, the gold market. Uh, but I've said this before. There are, there, there are three catalysts for gold prices. Short-term, the dollar. And the dollar has been kind of choppy over the past three or four months. And really sideways since uh, early August. And real yields, which you know interest rates have been going up, Real yields haven't gone up too much. They're still negative, but not quite as negative as they were midsummer. So that's certainly been a headwind. And then I think, uh, and then long, t- and then the th- the third thing that is a little short, more short term is kind of the ebbs and flows of of investor sentiment. And and I think that's starting to get extremely negative. And I think that is a big buying opportunity. And if you're looking at flows out of gold, they're near records. And that just shows me that all those weak hands are starting to capitulate and and sell out. Um, And I'm getting a lot of calls on air. I'm getting a lot of calls uh, in in office. What's going on with gold? And that's always, to me, an indicator that people are kind of getting emotional and freaking out. But longer term, once again, the deficits, structural fiscal deficits are very, very bullish for precious metals. Because you're going to continue debasement of the currency, continued... Negative real rates for uh, that the Treasury is going to implement. Sorry, the Fed is going to implement, and that still remains bullish long term. So I understand the 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 problem, but it's still up. I don't know what's gold up this year. Probably still thirty, forty percent. It's still one of the best asset classes on the year, right? And still above its major moving averages. Two hundred day moving averages still pointed higher. Hundred day still pointed higher. So all those longer term moving averages are still. Perfectly fine. This is a natural pullback consolidation period after a very overbought situation in the summer. So, fine with gold here. Eight 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 ninety nine chart. Eight eight nine nine two four two seventy eight. How you get through and ask your question on today's show? We have about fifteen minutes left. So, if you're going to call, you want to do it right now. Now, let's touch on COVID. The COVID pandemic changing in habits of Americans, and really those around the world, and what that means post-pandemic. right? Because that's what we're starting to think about, what is going to happen post-pandemic when it comes to eating, shopping, entertainment, etc., working, and that's the biggest question for investors, is how much will never go back to the way it was, how much will absolutely go back the way it was, and a lot will be in the middle. And this will have big implications for the economy as a whole and particular sectors. And each industry has its own nuances to think about. Now, in certain instances where consumers and businesses were just creating a workaround, right? We know that happy hour, for example, with your friends, that's not going to happen on a Zoom call Five years from now, right? That's still going to happen at a restaurant, at a bar, or whatever. So, actual nights out, entertainment like that—think that'll that'll definitely snap back, right? Live entertainment, live music, definitely snap back. There are other things in the middle, though, right? What about fitness? What about movies in person? Those have been in. Con- a competition for a long period of time right at home versus at a gym streaming at home versus going to the movies and i think that'll still that this pandemic will cause them to skew a little bit more to at home but i still think there'll be a big snapback Now, 1.2 billion domestic movie tickets were sold last year, but that's the same as five years ago. So, you're seeing that shift to to streaming, but I don't think movie theaters are going away completely. One thing I think could be more permanent, having groceries delivery. People get used to going online, picking things they want, pulling up to the grocery store, and just having it sent up. You know, put in their car or actually having it delivered to their home. I think those things are definitely more permanent. Cooking more. People that were handy in the kitchen have probably grown more so. Right? Purchase of equipment for food preparation, cooking, storage rose 41% from March 15th to October 31st. Sales of Metal bakeware, toaster ovens, air fryers, up 57, 75, and 83 percent, respectively. Now I don't think that'll continue because most of those are one-time items that people will will just have in their kitchen. But you're going to need food from a grocery store to use those things, and I think that will continue. I think that will be sticky. What was resilient? Well, discount stores, TJ Maxx, Ross. Their sales barely ticked down during the pandemic. But department stores like Macy's, Kohl's, did much, much worse. What's interesting, though, is the Walmarts, Targets of the world, they're becoming a lot more like the, the department stores. For example, Target is opening Ulta beauty shops inside their stores. that sound familiar? So... You know, I I I was there. I was at a department store over the weekend with my mom. It was her birthday. I bought her some stuff, and there was a. I think it was. What was the? There was some cosmetic store within the department store. Sephora, maybe. So I think that'll continue. What's interesting is that furniture shopping has actually shifted more online. Right? Wayfair saw sales increase more than seventy five percent, and typically that's more of an in person. Item. So that's what I'm watching to see if that is more of a permanent shift or a one-time change, uh, and that's more uncertain to me than more, more of the other things. Now you're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and yes, the economy was reopening. Now in some areas, it's shutting down again. But one thing I know for sure is that you cannot allow your retirement objectives to be controlled by this pandemic. You need to develop strategies to be able to optimize your portfolio for your particular goals. And that's what our job on InvestTalk is to do, is to help you with that process. And if you want more hands-on help, I encourage you to reach out to myself or Steve Peasley at our KP Financial offices in Irvine, California. We can help you, we want to help you, we'd love to help you. Now, whether you're a conservative investor edging closer to retirement, or maybe you're a younger worker looking for more aggressive opportunities, we can customize an investment strategy designed to achieve your particular financial freedom goals so to get started with a no-cost portfolio review please call or send a message through investtalk.com and now i'm here i'm ready to provide unbiased answers to your finance and investment questions we're taking your calls live at 888-99-CHART
0: our invest talk mission is to help you make better investing decisions to do that on your own. Thumbs up or thumbs down choices based on good, solid investing principles. But we need your questions to keep us on track. 88899 99 chart or click on contact Steve or contact Justin on investtalk.com.
2: Hey, Stephen, Justin, Carl calling from Ohio. Got a question about uh, preloading the 401k early in the year. If you can afford it, does it make sense to put the whole 18,000 in in the first couple months? Or is it better to call dollar cost average throughout the whole year? Look forward to hearing the answer on the podcast. Thank you.
1: Well, if history is your guide, that markets tend to go up, then you want to get the money in sooner rather than later. So I would say it does make sense to front load it. Now, certainly some times or some years, you're going to say, ah, you know, we had a big sell off in the summer. I wish I would have dollar cost average in and that would have been better. And certainly you will have those years. Just nature of the game, nature of the investment world. Years are very different, right? This year was very different than last year. And I guarantee 2021 will be very different than this year so but but if you look longer term if that's your strategy every single year then i think you'll do better by front loading it if you can so that's a great question though especially if you are maxing out your 401k you make a good amount of money you know you're going to hit that max at some point later in the year if you can front load it i definitely would do that this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and we have one goal here to help you achieve your own particular version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So if you're going to call, you want to do it right now at 888 99 Chart.
2: This is Invest Talk. Is your portfolio balanced? Is it optimized? Is it delivering the types of gains you want and need to achieve financial freedom? Well, turn up the volume because there are many questions that deserve unbiased answers. And Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your calls live. 888-99-CHART. Hi, this is Sean from Phoenix, Arizona. I've recently invested in a couple of stocks, RGEN, and Guild, G-I-L-D, and they do pharmaceuticals for the COVID, and recently saw that they dropped in price today, and just kind of curious, because I know the vaccine, um, it recently just came out uh, for 95% from Pfizer, so just curious if uh, my goal was to wait until at least the fourth quarter, uh, pretty much when they make the money (laughs) um, on the fourth quarter, and just to see if uh, that would wait till then or I should just pull out now while everything's going down. Thank you and I will listen
1: to your call on the podcast. Bye. All right. Now, these are two different types of companies. Gilead does uh, is a more pharmaceutical uh, company that makes therapeutics to treat viral, fungal, respiratory, and cardiovascular diseases. Uh, they have a drug, what's the name of it? I forgot the name of it at the moment, that does help treat covid uh, but it, it's clearly not changed their trajectory. <laughs> there's, I don't think there's uh, enough sales for it to uh, really make enough money, as well as it's uh, hepatitis C, I think, C or B, uh, if you could fit exactly, but that drug basically cures their patients, and therefore they don't have long-term customers in that way, and their earnings have been falling from $12.61 in 2015 down to $6.60 this year, So, I'm gonna, I'm not a big fan of Gilead, and same with REGN. Uh, this is more of a, they don't sell drugs where they, they more make, uh, let's see. I guess they, actually, you're right. They do, they do make drugs. Um, and is it RGN or REGN? I forget exactly. I think you're looking at Regeneron. Um, yeah, so Regeneron is, rolling over and i think both of these names are under pressure for that reason right that we're getting the 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 vaccine uh the the story behind these names is waning uh if i'm gonna invest in one long term it's definitely going to be regeneron to be honest with you so i'm gonna pass on gilead and but longer term i think regeneron is a solid company I want to go back to the Invest Talk Voice Bank before we close for the day. This question came in from San Jose.
2: Hey, guys. It's Rob from San Jose. I purchased Carnival Cruise Line CCL a while ago. I'm looking forward to its recovery. And my question is, what would be a logical exit point after it's gone up? I know that they've got a lot more debt now than they probably had pre-COVID. So I think waiting for it to return to pre-COVID levels is probably overly optimistic. Thanks, guys, for everything
1: you do. Bye. I was looking at Carnival Cruise Line, and he is correct. They have issued a lot of shares to stay solvent, really, right? They're they're not a U.S. company, so they uh, can't really get a bailout or couldn't really get a bailout. Uh, And so they had to issue a decent amount of, of new shares and that's really what's going to dilute future shareholders. And so I agree uh, return to 50 bucks or so before you know where, where it started at the beginning of the year is a little over optimistic. but if you look at the chart and if I run kind of a FIb retrace here, uh, I'm going to say a recovery to about35 dollars a share right now it's at 18 or so. Is a reasonable exp- expectation. It's not guaranteed. Nothing's guaranteed in this in this business, but uh, I do think it could work its way up there. But I think it's going to be fits and starts, right? Not everyone's going to get vaccinated right away. Uh, they, I think there was a, a cruise ship that went out a, a month ago or so, and. It returned with five COVID patients. Um, So I thought that was pretty interesting. It was in the Caribbean somewhere. I don't know what uh, cruise line it was. But it just shows you how difficult this business is. And they, uh, not permanently, but I think for an extended period of time, people are going to be more weary of going on cruise ships and what could happen. uh, Because they've had problems like this before, more one-offs. But I think their business is going to be very slow to come back compared to many other reopening trades. So you need to be patient with it. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasy will be here tomorrow, but I'll return next week. We have some great Best of Caller Question Compilation podcasts lined up for Thursday and Friday. In the meantime, please remember to tell your friends and family members that they can choose from over 100 archived Invest Talk podcasts for free download over at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play, as well as InvestTalk.com, where they can listen live to the program each and every weekday, four to five Pacific time. They can just click on the Listen Live button. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Because of the nature of the
0: interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice or shall statements on this program be considered and offered to buy or sell securities.